This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, Ryan Beltran from OriginalGrain.com told a story of how he and his brother co-founded a $15 million watch company. On today's podcast, you'll learn from two entrepreneurs that launched a $2 million business with the help of syndicating epic content. In this episode, you'll learn what to look for when you're coming up with a profitable business idea, why you should focus on making money first and then focus on your passion projects, and what's involved in an e-commerce business sale. Today, I'm joined by Catherine Allen from bestself.co. Bestself is the maker of the self-journal and is the productivity super weapon that puts you in control of your day every day. It was starting in 2015 and based out of New York City, New York. Welcome, Catherine Allen. Hey, Felix. Thanks for having us. Yeah, excited to have you on. So let's talk a little bit more about this product. So Best Self is the company. Self Journal is the product. Tell us a bit more about this. What is the uh, Self Journal? So Self Journal, it's a physical day planner that is based on a goal. So it's a three-month goal or goals that you set. We show you how to break it down so you know exactly what you have to do every day to get there. Very cool. So is this a, I guess, a, a technique that you use previously how did you come up with this you know this planner i guess like how did you guys come up with the idea was this a product that you were already i guess using or used on your own prior to creating the the full-fledged product yeah so Catherine and i were running our own businesses separately then we had a business that we're running together and we were sort which of which was not best self this was which was yeah best which self. was not best self uh, this was actually another e-commerce uh, Amazon business, but uh, we needed something to hold us accountable throughout the day. I sort of uh, had a, a planner structure, so I knew what my long-term goals were, uh, what I wanted to do with my life, and a breakdown of like my top priorities throughout the day. And I was in the city working with Catherine. I pull it out to see, all right, what are we going to tackle today while I'm here? She goes, oh, hey, what, what is that? I go, oh, well, this is my planner, blah, blah, blah. She's like, no way. She pulls out her. She's like, listen, I, could, I couldn't find anything that works. I, I've got hundreds and stacks of, of planners all over the place. We have to write our own. Mm, very cool. So you're both running business separately, ran a business together. So are we talking about three businesses already going on at the time of the best self, uh, I guess the self-journal? Between the two of us. Wow, that's that's a ton. So how did you um how did you balance all of it? Like how did you know that this was not going to be something that would spread you too thin? Especially since you already, you know, I think for a lot of listeners, they already have a their plates full with just running one business or trying to get one business off the ground. You guys already had three businesses going and between the two of you, and now you wanted to add a new kind of project onto your plate. How did you uh, know that this would be I guess not be an issue in terms of time and resources? We wanted to make this product to actually decrease our time. So uh, I was filling out a blank moleskin every day. Catherine was filling out her 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 framework for out the throughout the day, 
each and every morning and it just got tiresome. So we're like, to free up some time, let's create this thing for ourselves so we don't have to keep writing this in every day. So it wasn't really a so business not, in the beginning. Yeah. It was a product that we wanted for ourselves. And then, um, like, I designed it because I have a design background. And I was like, okay, let's just make this for ourselves. Turns out it's very expensive to print, you know, a, a couple of books for just us. So we showed it to some friends. Uh, to see if, you know, maybe they would like it. And it sort of snowballed from there in a way because people were like, oh, I love this. And that's when, you know, we're like, why don't we kickstart this and, you know, see if we can validate it. So for us, it didn't start as a business. It just started as a product that we wanted to exist. And then due to the success of the actual product and how much people loved it, that's what sort of turned our focus to, to turning it into a real business. So you guys had no other forms of validation prior to the Kickstarter campaign? Just our no. friends telling us that they wanted it also. Oh, very cool. Yeah, we'll talk about the Kickstarter in a bit. Uh, before we get there, I want to talk about this um, space that you're competing in. This, uh, this space that you're in, this productivity space, I feel like it's... Um, it's grown in popularity over the last few years. You know, a lot of new new entrepreneurs coming into this space. A lot of people want to become entrepreneurs, and then they realize that they bump into this issue where there's not enough time. They're kind of running around around with their heads, you know, cut off, and there's just no kind of focus. And that's always the, uh, I guess, key tip or key to success for a lot of uh, entrepreneurs is to have that kind of focus. So this growing space, this growing productivity space, were you ever worried about, you know, the competition or how to stand out in this, you know, very fast growing, uh, I guess, uh, I wouldn't call it industry, but it's a very fast growing category? I think for us, we didn't really think about all of that at the start because again, we just wanted the product. So we came up our other businesses, it's funny because we're both, we've do, both tried to do a lot of things. We both had, you know, other businesses and stores and products that we tried to do. And we sort of went towards what we thought was a good business. But this was probably, it's been the most successful, but it's also the most organic way that it came about where we didn't, we'd already tried a bunch of things that hadn't worked for us. So then we created this thing for ourselves and we knew that it worked for us. We actually used it to launch our Kickstarter, like the whole goal framework. So it was about really, okay, this is works for us. Let's create it, create this product. And then it's not until now that we're seeing, you know, we see that there's a lot of stuff in this space. Um, but I think because we weren't focused on, you know, competing with other people at the start, you know, we haven't really thought about it. Yeah. Hmm. So you, 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 like you, I think you were saying that you thought it would be a good business, and obviously you two have had success identifying markets, identifying what kind of businesses to start because you started previous businesses. What uh, what kind of features or what kind of characteristics of this particular product or this particular business or even this particular market made it attractive to you, or at least made it made you realize that there might be some, you know, profitability in this product or profitability in a company like this? Profitability wise. Um- um, we discovered that during and after our Kickstarter campaign. Um, and I think it was towards the tail end of our Kickstarter campaign or, or shortly thereafter, uh, that the emotional side, uh, followed it, it sort of turned into a, a passion project and now a very successful passion project. And when you're like working on the things that you really love and enjoy, um, that adds a whole new element to it. 
Mm, so correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you, you probably wouldn't have started down this path if you didn't think that, not necessarily that you become you know crazy profitable, crazy rich off of it, but that it would at least make sense as a business, that, that would at least be sustainable. Um, did you, like, what did you notice about this particular space, notice about this business that made you realize that this could become a sustainable business? I think for us, so after our Kickstarter ended and we were like, wow, people really supported this project. And then, and then it was kind of a moment where with, so we had another business together and to be honest, like the self journal is what we'd focused all of our time over the last couple of months on because we were just enjoying it so much. And the other business, it, it was more driven just to, it wasn't really something they were passionate about. It was just almost like another job that we had for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so after the Kickstarter, we got on a call and we just decided, look, we've, this has gone so well in the last you know month that we validated it. Why don't we just go full into this and you know see how it goes? And so we ended up selling the other business and just going fully into uh, the self-journal because we were so passionate about the product and we also saw how it helped people. So for us over the years, as we've learned a ton about personal development and productivity um, through books and meeting people. We wanted to, and I wanted to learn that, you know, when I was younger, if I had known the stuff that I know now when I was at university and everything, I would have been able to save so much time and be a lot more focused. So that's really our, our um, driving factor is it's not really about the market and the profitability. It's like, how can we teach people how to become their best self so that, you know, we can change the world you know, one person at a time if they're hitting their goals. Yeah, I remember uh, the call that Catherine, uh, that you and I had. Uh, it was like a Sunday afternoon. Our Kickstarter campaign had ended maybe like a week prior or something, two weeks prior. Uh, we still had the business that we were working on before. And uh, she called me up and she's like, Alan, you're, you're going to think I'm nuts. But <laughs> but I think we should go all in on on the self journal and and this new uh, f- form of business called I don't even think it was called best self then yet it might have been that was called but, best self yeah uh, she's like I want to just go all in on best self and and stop doing the other business and I was like you know what I feel the exact same way so <laughs> mm, very cool I guess uh, that the why that's why it makes sense that you two are partners if you're already thinking alike even without uh, coming together to talk about it for the first time so you said that you this you both discovered that you had this passion almost after the success of the Kickstarter campaign maybe through the obviously and we'll talk a little bit more about this but obviously through the, the great success of the, the funding that you've had probably from people emailing and writing comments and just talking about about the excitement for his product. Were you also passionate or would you say prior to discovering Best Self, would you say you were passionate about your previous business? If someone were to ask you, you know, back, let's say two years ago, are you passionate about what you do? Honestly, I don't think so. I think for us, uh, at least for me, uh, the other business was a way to... um, for cash flow and to make money, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything that either Alan or I cared that much about personally. Um, and this product sort of came from us trying to, you know, improve ourselves and get to where we needed to go. We never thought it would turn into a product, but, um, once we started working on it and, and 
trying to improve it and doing a lot of that's really what we were passionate about and I think after having worked on a business that we didn't really care that much about besides like the numbers um this was so much better because you know you can work all day and and you still are like excited to get up in the morning and work and uh, I didn't have that with the with the other business Mm. So did the cash flows match your, the past cash flows or the revenue or the projections of Best Self match the previous businesses that you ended up ultimately uh, selling off? Um, well, I'm trying to remember what, the, what they were. They, the Kickstarter, we definitely raised more you know, in that month than we were making. Yeah, I guess the the the, re, the question I'm at or trying to get at is, I think others reach this point too, whether it be with uh, an existing business that now they started another business that's more of a passion project, or maybe they're working a day job and now have a, a business on the side as a passion project, where. The passion project is definitely something that, like you're saying, they wake up excited to get to work on, uh, but doesn't make as much. Even if it does, you know, sustain their lifestyle is more than enough. It doesn't match what they were making, but the more you know, quote unquote, sustainable uh, business or sustainable, not sustainable, but st- stable business or stable job. But you guys were willing to say, you know what, let's just go ahead with this passion project, even though it didn't necessarily match the revenues or the cash flows from your previous business. That was never a hard decision for you guys. Um, no, it wasn't. Uh, but I know that feeling because I remember when I was working my full-time job and had my side project, um, my side, uh, consultancy reached the amount that I was making per month in my, uh, full-time job, but it wasn't until it surpassed it that I finally felt comfortable, even though I, I matched it and sustained it for a little bit. It wasn't until I surpassed it where I was like, okay, now I feel comfortable to, to step out. Um, so I know that feeling, um, for this, it was a little bit different because we, we saw the success and the, the, the rabid fans of, uh, of our Kickstarter campaign. Um, it was sort of like, um, uh, I don't, it was sort of like a no brainer for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes sense. I was, yeah, it was a no brainer because the other business was, we weren't really affecting anyone's lives. It was just, you know, we were selling products online still, but they weren't, you know, it was like white label products. So it was like, yeah, they, they did, they sold, but we weren't, we were getting emails saying how oh, this journal had helped someone, you know, they lost 15 pounds or they, got the job that they wanted and so that stuff like really mattered to us and and that's why it made the decision easier so if you could go back and it's to the beginning again this i think a path that a lot of entrepreneurs are on which is they have to think should i focus on getting cash you know getting capital getting some uh i guess you know initial funding not not from investors but from just working a day job or or starting a business that they know is going to make them money but then kind of put on the back burner what they're truly passionate about do you think that you would still choose a path that you went on where you guys first you know worked on a, on businesses that made the money and then Maybe I, mean, I don't think you were holding back on this passion project, but you didn't seem like you had discovered what you're passionate about yet. But then once you did, then make that jump. Would you go back and do it the same way, or would you say, 
focus on looking for your passion to begin with and just spend all the time on that, even to pass up that initial, you know, revenue or cash flow that you're generating from the businesses that you ultimately created? Honestly, I would tell people to follow, do the money thing and get out of your day job, which is exactly what I did as well. You know, I, it wasn't a passion project. It was a way to escape because then you can give yourself more time and find your passion later. But the, the thing that you don't have much time, you know, the thing that you're trying to get more of is time so that you can work doing what you want. And if you have a day job, I would say the first thing I would do is to find a way to make money so that you can get out of that day job. And then you can keep making money with the day job, because, but you'll have a lot more time because you won't have the, um, you know, the nine to five to go to. Mm. And I would say uh, I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, everything worked out the way it did for a reason. Uh, Catherine and I both learned a lot in our businesses prior to um, Best Self Co., which helped Best Self Co. get to where it is today. So it, it's all about the journey. And and to dovetail what Catherine just said, absolutely. Uh, if we didn't have these businesses that were generating cash flow for us, there's no way that we could have dedicated the time and energy into our Kickstarter campaign and into the self journal, uh, which made it what it is today. Mm. So based on what I'm hearing from you guys, um, it seems like you are both uh, have taken relatively risk averse approaches to launching businesses, which I'm personally a fan of. Like you're saying, start with the project, the business that will get you the money first and then use that time and energy and, and the capital to then focus on your passion project once you figure or passion business once you've figured that out. So when you are, when you did make this decision, do you have any tips on how much a, an, an entrepreneur that is working a day job should be making or should have saved up prior to starting? Like, should they be matching their income at their day job? Just barely, you know, making expenses. Like if you go back and do it all over again, how would you jump sooner or later? I think it's different for for everyone, depending on what situation you're in. Obviously, if you have a wife and and children and a family, that number is going to be a little bit higher than if you were single and you know you didn't have a lot of responsibilities on your hands. Uh, you can live pretty minimally there, where where you're not you know looking after a family. Um, so it, it's just whatever's comfortable and whatever agreement that you can. Um, have with yourself and say, all right, I can, you know, live this lifestyle. Um, some people want to cut back a lifestyle in order to have that freedom. Some, some people don't want to cut back their lifestyle uh, and want the freedom. So obviously, that number is going to fluctuate depending on on what people want. Although you do, you don't want to save a little and give yourself some runway. Um, and the good thing about that is, if you can set a time, like okay, you try to hit a certain amount and then you save until this is what at least this is what I, I would do is I would save uh, like six months of expenses and living. And then that would give me six months um, to be able to, you know, actually make some money uh, b- before I, you know, quit. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that definitely uh, at least lessens the stress of making that jump in. I think when you are stressed out from trying to make money as soon as possible, you don't make the right decisions. You make much more short-term decisions. So I think it makes sense to have some kind of safety net as well. Uh, so at this point, I think listeners are probably wondering, like, what were the businesses that you guys had created? Do you, do you mind going into this a little bit? I know you mentioned uh, the one you had together was an e-commerce, I think, Amazon business selling white-labeled products. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Cool. And the ones that you had separately, what 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 are they? Mine was uh, I sold graphic prints, so I I have a design background, so I sold design goods online, which is what I got out of my day job. With and I was a consultant um, for other companies doing their digital marketing for them. Cool. And how did you guys, um, I guess, meet each other and ultimately end up partnering? We met in a online entrepreneurship program. So basically when I was um, quitting my, I think I just quit my job and I joined this program online because I wanted to meet other entrepreneurs. Um, and then on a, we would do these like weekly calls and Alan was on one of the weekly calls with about six other people. And so that's how we first connected and, and I realized after, you know, a few weeks of talking with everyone that he was, would take action. So we would say we were going to do something and we would actually be the ones that would go ahead and and do what we were saying. So then we became accountability partners. Uh, So we would just hold each other accountable. If I say I'm going to do this, you know, Alan would make sure that I do it. Very cool. So why, actually, do you mind uh, mentioning what, what, what is this uh, website or program that you're part of if other entrepreneurs want to join something like this? So the program was called uh, the Foundation, and depending on when you're listening to this, it may be around, it may not be around. Um, I believe they're going to do one last uh, one last class, mm. um, and at the time of this recording, it's almost November. So um, we met through the Foundation, and uh, I highly recommend some sort of online community, online program to meet like-minded individuals. Whether that's a form, a membership community, uh, a, a course like Catherine and I went that had a community with it because it only elevates yourself when you're surrounding yourself with like-minded people who all are trying to do something more with their life. When you're around people who you know, maybe starting on Thursday at 5 o'clock just hit the bar and then are hungover Friday, Saturday, and Sunday – um, you're not going to really propel yourself further if you're surrounding yourself with those people. So if you're surrounding yourself with people who are, are, are staying up late, working on their side project, waking up early, uh, telling you about their wins, their, their failures, um, and you're constantly helping each other level up, you're going to get there where you want to get to so much quicker. Mm, makes sense. So basically some kind of mastermind program. It sounds like that's what the foundation is. I've never been through, but I've, I've heard you know, things about it. So it sounds like some kind of community that has a mastermind aspect to it. So like you're saying, you surround yourself with like-minded people that are actually pushing you forward rather than you know, get you into bad habits like the, the ones that you mentioned. Cool. So uh, one last thing about these past businesses, you mentioned that you guys eventually had to wind these down and, and ultimately sell. Was it just the Amazon business? Yeah. Yes. What was that process like? I think um, I, th- I think people are probably interested in buying and selling e-commerce businesses. What's involved in a, in a sale of an e-commerce business? 
Uh, a lot of documentation <laughs> from from your side. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's putting all all um, pretty much all the financial sheets together, all the assets together, um, meaning what you have in inventory, uh, what your assets are, such as branding, uh, manufacturers, employees, websites, uh, content systems, processes, SOPs, the whole nine. Uh, and it's like putting that together in in a in a nice package, and then finding a you can either list it yourself, uh, or you can find a broker who has a bunch of buyers that they can tap into. Which one did you guys end up going with, a, a broker or selling yourself? For the sake of time, we went with a broker. Cool. So when you were going through this process of prep preparing the business for sale, or at least preparing it to be sold or to be marketed or promoted to be sold. Well, did you ever think, you know, dang, I wish I spent more time on this from the very beginning to make my job easier now? And if so, what was that? Um, I think I would have probably just put put like one or two more like virtual assistants in place to just monitor everything. Um, because over time, if it's not, uh, if it, 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 when Catherine and I stepped away, it sort of took a decline where mm. if it would have just stayed um, level, uh, we would have had a, a much higher exit, you know? Mm, so it sounds like maybe one of the key takeaways, uh, I don't think a lot of people will be in the same situation as you, but one of the key takeaways is to sell a business at the height rather than when it's on on the decline, when you're looking at the numbers in the past you know, six months or so and it looks very strong rather than declining, which I think is what you're getting at because you didn't have as much time to focus on it. That makes 100%. sense. So work, working with a broker, I think, again, on the sales side and the buy side, I think people are interested in this. Do you, what do you, what do you need to, I guess, how do you work with them? Like, what do they need from you? And like, how do they work with finding you buyers? Like, what's that whole process like? Pretty straightforward. You say, hey, I have this business. They say, all right, fill out this, uh, this onboarding form. Uh, with a, It's a checklist of everything that they need, uh, which I just laid out before you. And, uh, and then when you provide that over to them, they can give it a once over and, uh, and then they reach out to, to their buyers who say, Hey, I'm interested in e-commerce. I'm interested in Amazon. I'm interested in physical stores, uh, brick and mortar, uh, info products, whatever. And, um, and they have a pool of buyers that they go to. And then the sale, uh, is whatever you agree upon minus the broker's commission. That's it. So one of the things, if if we could go back, I think, uh, just like keeping on top of the the stuff, all the numbers and finances, so that it's not such a huge chore later, if that is your plan to sell. Um, because luckily for me, Alan took care of most of that, but I did feel sorry for him because it looked horrendous. <laughs> yeah, that that documentation, I think, is what everyone says is that if they had documented everything from the beginning. It makes it a lot easier later, but a lot of people I don't think go into business with the intention of ultimately selling it. So I think it's going to be a painful process for most people that go through the sale process because they don't, you know, go into it with that intention. Uh, cool. So let's talk about the the actual the journal, the Kickstarter campaign, the business that you guys ultimately ended up starting. Uh, you know, pr- after uh, these other three businesses. So uh, the Kickstarter campaign you said was the very beginning of it all. What made you guys decide let's go and validate and launch this on Kickstarter? The main thing was that, I, so I'd run a couple of Kickstarters for a previous business before. So I knew the general 
flow of how it worked. And I thought that, okay, we need to raise money to actually print this. We didn't have the, we wanted to validate it. We wanted to produce it. So that's really the reason we went to Kickstarter is because we didn't want to um, just go and get it produced and then find out nobody actually wanted it. And then actually Kickstarter is great because you can build a community around the product before it exists. And you can also improve the product. So we took you know feedback from people and made the product better during the course of the Kickstarter so that when we, the one that we sent out was better than the original one that, that was, you know, on in the video and everything. Yeah. I think, um, a lot of, uh, uh, successful campaigns go through this process too, where they evolve the product based on the feedback and based on the comments from the, the backers. Did you, did the product change a ton? Like what, what changed with it, uh, as the campaign was going? It was mainly <laughs> just small tweaks of like, usability things more than than anything that you would probably I mean I would notice it but it's it was more of like okay maybe I'm trying to even think at this point what it was but it was I don't I don't recall which uh, specific things came up but the reason why so many did come up or so many important ones came up was because we were actually giving away the pdf of the journal for free we said, listen, we've got, we want you to start now, and we believe in this so much, uh, and we believe in helping you so much because it's helped Catherine and I, that please take this PDF, print it out, start using it today because we don't want you to wait for the manufacturing and, and the shipping and, and all that. We want you to get started now. Uh, so people actually started using it before the Kickstarter even ended and said, hey, uh, I've been using this for two weeks now or like a week and a half. You know what would be cool if you did this? Or you know what would be nice if you, if, if you guys added this or took this out or moved this here? So it was, it was like accumulation of things. Very cool. So the the kind of statistics or the data of this Kickstarter campaign had a goal of $15,000, blew that out the water, raising $323,000 from 6,531 backers. So lots of success. What would you say, you know, was the key to the success? Was it this early free PDF that you gave out or what would you credit just that kind of explosive, uh, I guess, uh, campaign fundraising that, that you had? Right. About three months before the campaign started, uh, we put in all, we pretty much did the self-journal uh, process where you take a 13-week goal, a three-month goal, and break it into smaller milestones and daily action steps. And we said, all right, if our goal and our internal goal was 200,000, we said, all right, if we want to hit 200,000, what does that look like? What do we have to do? So it's like, okay, we need to build a list, get people excited before we even launch. So when we launch on day one, we come out with a bang. And we did. We were funded within 28 28 hours, fully funded, and and then it was a snowball effect from there, um, because you get featured by by uh, Kickstarter on their homepage, uh, and then it's a series of small uh, daily steps from there on out. Mm, so the Kickstarter campaign maybe wasn't even the. I guess launch pad for your success. It sounds like this list that you built was really the launch pad for all of it. So in 13 weeks, you're able to build a list large enough to kickstart, well, kickstart this Kickstarter campaign enough that it ultimately raised over $300,000. So how many subscribers did you have at the time of this uh, this launch? Yeah, I think we had 
Something like that. Okay, so yeah. very, very achievable. Um, in I think if you do everything right and your mo- only focus is to grow this list, what was the well, – how did you grow this list? Uh, writing epic content and then syndicating it out. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think that's a very straightforward formula. So let's break this down a little bit. <laughs> writing the epic – I'm sure it is much harder than you make it seem. So the epic content and then syndicating it out. So – what it was the epic content that you were writing and how did you come up with these, uh, I guess, content ideas? So we would do a, I would write a post or Alan would write a post around productivity or something that was based around the journal. Um, so one, we talked about habit forming, um, morning routine. So it was very stuff that was very specific to what we talk about in the, in the self journal. And from there we created these, content upgrades which were essentially like pdf guides or some sort of additional content that you could get for free for your email address so we interviewed some successful entrepreneurs and find out what their morning routine looked like and then we put it into a you know infographic pdf so it was about 26 pages or so and then um we I've had that as sort of an upgrade so if you we you just read this post and then you could download it so that was pretty successful. We also did a giveaway. So uh, we bundled a bunch of our favorite products around productivity. So it was, you know, um, books, software, um, some products that we liked. It was a bunch of stuff that we bundled together. And then we were going to do a giveaway. So the only people that were going to give their email addresses would be people that were interested in productivity and want the stuff. Um, So you're not going to get someone that you know, if we had to put like an Xbox up to get emails, we probably would have gotten a lot more emails. But then when we launched the self journal, the people would be like, this has nothing to do with what mm-hmm. I signed up mm-hmm. for. So exactly. it was a very targeted email targeted. list mm-hmm. um, for what we planned to, to use it for. That was the two things that worked the, the best. So the content upgrade and the giveaway. So let's dive into this a little bit more. Um, well, let's start with the going back to the co- epic content f- for a second. Were you guys, you know, would you consider yourself at the time experts on productivity or like how did you know how to create such? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know what the epic content was, but how did you uh, know enough or how did you, I guess, do enough research or to fill out enough content to make it, you know, epic and enough that you could actually create content upgrades off of it? Between the two of us, Catherine and I have, we, we did so much research and just personal development through our own businesses or while we were running our own businesses. So we're like, all right, how do we be more productive? We read, we read articles, read books, attended seminars, went to conferences, uh, listened to podcasts, and uh, we were just yeah, accumul- and we applied it so yeah. we knew it worked. I see. So these are already things that you knew at the time. I guess the question I'm getting at is when someone sits down and wants to create epic content or large, long-form content, you know, 5,000-word articles, do they need to you know, be experts on the space? Like it sounds like what you guys were, or is it possible to kind of research and I guess build out the content as you learn about it? I would say yes. I think, I think you can either be an expert or you can be someone that's experimenting in the open, kind of like Tim Ferriss is, you know, he does the same mm-hmm. thing with his books and with his blog posts. He's like, okay, 
I wanted to do this and these are all the steps that I did and these are the results that I got. And I think people are very responsive to that type of content because they can see, you know, there where you are is that they don't really know what they're doing, but they can follow the same steps. So I would um, consider that if you're not an expert in something, um, but you want to write content because people like to see, you know, people learning and what the results are rather than just being lectured to in a, in a blog post. So that's kind of how we approached our um, epic content also. It's like, okay, this is what I was like before and then I applied these things and then this is the results that I saw and here's how you can do it too, that, that sort of framework. Yeah, I like that framework too because I think um, a lot of people that want to create content, they'll usually say, I don't know what to write about. And you don't need to always kind of tap what's inside yourself. Like you're saying, you could kind of what I've heard called as lead from the middle. So rather than saying, hey, I'm the expert, everyone follow me. You say, hey, I'm just like you guys, but I'm going to learn and then teach you what I'm learning. I think both work you know, equally as well as long as you're you know, positioning, I guess, the, the right way. So um, that makes sense. So you create this epic content and then you also said that you create content upgrades around it. So for the audience that might not know about what content upgrades are can you guys explain what is a content upgrade and how did you know what should be your content upgrades um a, what is a content upgrade a content upgrade is a, a piece of content uh that's above and beyond or a supplement to whatever blog or article or video or whatever medium you just consumed so it should go hand in hand with that and what it is it's it's a value add so, hey, you just read this article on these productivity things that I do every morning. If you want to see what uh, what 29 successful people do every morning and what their morning routine is, download this PDF. But first, give me your name and email address. Uh, when they da- when they give their name and email address, they'll download the PDF. Now they can see who what Jack Canfield does every morning, what Lewis Howes does every morning what Marie Forleo does every morning, Tim Ferriss, so on and so forth. And it's just like a, a little piece that um, that supplements whatever content uh, that they just consumed. And so these were like um, downloaded PDFs, like you're saying, that are first require an email address and opt-in before they receive it. And do you usually include this like at the bottom of the epic content or like where is it, how is it introduced to the reader? Yep, normally at the end. Okay, cool. And can you give an idea of how much time is put into this? Because like you're talking about interviewing, you know, 29 entrepreneurs, maybe not a lot about, not maybe not a ton of interviewing time, but still you have to piece together all of these. Uh, you know, obviously it has to be valuable enough for people to say, yes, I will give my email address up for this content upgrade. So obviously it will require at least some time for you to put effort into it. Uh, but just an idea, you know, how much time should be people expect to devote towards, uh, not necessarily the, the con- epic content itself, but just let's say the content upgrades that you were doing. Well, Catherine's a designer. So Catherine, um, how long did you spend I mean, creating these? Honestly, probably a little too long. <laughs> but uh, I think, it, you know, a couple hours, well, let's say a day all in. So we didn't interview everyone. Sometimes we would email people and get their morning routine. Other times we would um, come across it online. Come, come, come across it online and just cite the source. So it was it wasn't as much work as you would think it was. Um, but it we I created like an infographic. Uh, I can give you a copy of this so you can see what I'm talking about. But 
I created sort of an infographic timeline of how they wake up. So it's a little more interesting uh, for each person. So I think probably a day or so it took me. And and maybe uh, maybe that one's a little unique and a little specific for the type of content. So if you're reading a, a an article on morning routines, you're obviously going to want something related to morning routines. But what you can do, which is what we did, is create a content upgrade that's uh, that was almost generic that we can use for more than one piece of content. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that one was very successful. I think it's uh, actually we still offer it on our website now, which is it's like thirty seven productivity hacks um, that you can that will ten x uh, your results. And you can put that at the bottom of pretty much any piece of content that we were writing at that time. So it's finding a nice balance between something of value that can be repurposed uh, to a larger audience than whatever that specific article is based on. Yeah, I think that's an important uh, comment that, that you just made because I, I've heard that, and it makes sense that the more customize the content upgrade is for that blog post, the high conversions, you know, it makes sense because it, it, it matches. It's a much more natural, I guess, um, uh, progression towards that content upgrade. It makes more sense for people to give up their email address for it. But, you know, going by 80-20, you know, don't, don't try to create a content upgrade for every single blog article. If you, especially you don't have the time or resources for it, create something slightly more generic, but still applicable for every, every post because, you know, your entire blog, all the content you're creating was about productivity. So as long as the content upgrade was also about productivity, it fits naturally into all the blog posts. So I think that's an important point that you don't have to make a specific content upgrade for every blog post. Maybe for the most popular ones, yeah, you should probably you know go ahead and create something more specific. But for anyone getting started, I think a, gen- a more generic one makes a whole lot of sense. Cool. So- Bingo. Yeah, so I want to talk about the giveaway now. So that was the other kind of uh, key to growing this email list. Um, you know, putting together giveaways, I think putting together the prizes and all that, that part is easy, that part's fun. The real kind of pedal to the metal part of it where it, it where you actually, you know, grow this list is the promotion aspect. So how did you guys uh, promote the giveaways uh, that, that you created? Through social media, really. Um, we did a little, a very, very small amount of paid traffic. Um, and I sh- actually shouldn't even be bringing it up because it was so tiny. But um, most of it was f- through organic social media uh, and through organic syndication. Mm, so you were just posting it on your own your Twitter, Facebook, Instagrams? Like, is that all that you, you did initially? Oh, no. So we would find other uh, other avenues that we could post on. So um, medium.com, Reddit, forms, uh, so, uh, different groups inside Facebook. So Facebook groups for, say, entrepreneurs or uh, people looking to start businesses the actual software that we used, which was called King Sumo, it was it's one of those ones where, you know, if you enter, then you if you ask invite your friends or share on Facebook or Twitter, uh, you'll get more entries. So there's almost mm-hmm. a viral thing built into it. And we once we launched the giveaway, we actually upgraded some of the posts, like the blog posts, and added that at the bottom. So you just write a post on productivity and now I hear is a link where we're giving you away a bunch of 
free stuff and all you have to do is enter your email. So stuff that was already getting recommended and shared anyway. Now I had this extra element where we were doing a giveaway. So it was, again, highly targeted. Yeah, I, I like that, that you devote, you um, directed a lot of the traffic towards this giveaway. So was this a long-running giveaway, or did you only do it once? Like, um, how long did it go for? I think it went for about 30 days, and we only ran it once. Oh, wow. Okay, so 30 days, lots of kind of focus on just driving the, all the traffic possible to this giveaway. I like that you clarified how you drove this traffic because, um, you know, I didn't want because if you said that you just posted your own social media, then I would ask you next, like, okay, so how did you grow the social media presence? So yeah, it makes sense that you were able to go in other places where your audience already gathered around Facebook groups on, on Medium. So you were just, you know, some of these communities I think are can be sensitive to people just coming along and saying, hey, sign up for this giveaway, especially nowadays where people recognize that a lot of giveaways are being used to to collect email addresses. How did you, um, I guess, handle this? How did you make sure that the, that the giveaways that you were promoting weren't seen in a negative light? I think because we were giving something away. Um, so the bundle itself that we were giving away was worth like $1,000. Mm. So... Um, it was like, okay, do you want a bunch of free stuff? No, then you're fine. If you do, you just put your email in. Uh, but we didn't really bombard the people that emailed. We just sort of, once we had a blog post that was about productivity, we would share it. And then we would share, okay, like uh, two weeks left of the giveaway. Um, so because the, it was a targeted list, and again, we weren't, it wasn't like, okay, we're giving away an Xbox or something very generic. It was a targeted list so that we could share other articles with them and we could share the self journal later on. Um, but I think from our giveaway, we, we, we got around 1800 emails from that. Wow. That's, that's 1800 emails in 30 days is definitely, uh, an amazing number to hit. So you, I think, uh, Alan, you mentioned that there was syndication involved too with the content. And I guess you mentioned this with the giveaway as well. So what what do you mean by um, syndicating content? So it's putting your content on other platforms and then somehow redirecting or capturing those leads um, there. So either redirecting your leads back to your blog or capturing the the leads right on that right on that medium. So what we would do is we would take the blog post and we would publish it on our, our blog, uh, obviously put in the, the content upgrades or the, or the giveaway. And then we'd go to first place would be Facebook groups. So we'd, we'd go into Facebook groups and we would write a specific, this is very important. You'd write a specific post targeted to that Facebook group um, that isn't spammy. It's there to provide value. It's first and foremost. Uh, If you go into Facebook groups and start copying and pasting into a hundred different groups, uh, it's not going to work out well for you. So it's a very manual process, but it works. It has worked for us. And um, the problem is not many people do it because it does take effort. So you need to go in, you need to create a a post that's specific to that group that talks the language inside that group. Another example is Reddit. If you're not speaking Reddit's language, you are going to get destroyed. Mm -hmm. So I recommend going into Reddit and actually 
participating in there before you start syndicating, just so you can understand the lingo, understand how it works, understand how you format a a written post uh, in there. And a lot of subreddits don't even let you post until you you've been vetted almost. So uh, it's getting in there and understanding that that target market and understanding how they talk, how they communicate, and communicating to them via value. And then they'll reciprocate, come to your site. Uh, hopefully, if you've done everything correctly, they'll, they'll opt in and you'll, and you'll grow that list. Okay, so when you are creating these uh, posts, and I, and I 100% agree about making sure that it's customized and personalized for each group because I think we've all been part of groups where we're in multiple groups and all of a sudden you see people copy and pasting things because Facebook is now smart enough to kind of group the same copy and paste content together and it just looks really bad for anyone that's doing this. So definitely avoid that. Um, so then when you're writing this uh, customized piece of uh, post for Facebook groups, are you posting the actual content or are you just introducing the content and linking over to it? Like how, how do you uh, drive the traffic back to your, your site? I'd write a brief synopsis of whatever that piece of epic content was uh, or is, and then link back to the homepage or uh, that, excuse me, that blog article. Mm, makes sense. And you mentioned that there might be some other mediums or platforms where you could collect the email address or the opt-in on the site itself. Is that, can you share some of those? Um, and it's not so much collect e- email addresses. So if you like go to a form, now you can talk to that community directly Mm-hmm. Um, and start a dialogue with them. So it's not necessarily co- collecting an email address, but more starting a dialogue um, on that platform. Mm. So you were, let's say you created a, a uh, post in a forum and there's a lot of communication around it or there's a lot of uh, uh, activity, interaction, engagement on that, that, uh, that post itself. A lot of people are posting replies. Are you then coming back to it when you are ready to launch a product or promote something and going back into that post? Are you creating a brand new post? Like how do you actually uh, promote the, the product or the business itself? For this, I went back into it and, and started, took that same thread that that dialogue was already started on. And at the end of that post or edited the original um, Continue the dialogue, said, hey, guys, we're, we're now ready. Um, if you like this article, you also like uh, like what we have in the works. Mm-hmm. Um, let us know uh, what, what you think. And I'd love to hear your feedback. Yeah, I like that approach a lot because you uh, have kind of a, a trail or a history of people already getting value from your post your original post because there's a lot of dialogue around it and you don't want to just come on to and create a brand new post and then be hundred percent promotional because that just won't look as good. So I think that that's a great approach that you are resurfacing a, a previous uh, post, previous dialogue. Mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. Cool. So um, one other thing I want to talk about is your success with the Shopify Build a Business competition. So you guys have won uh, one of the awards. So congratulations on that. Um, 
how did you do it? Like, how were you? I think one of the keys to to success on this build a business competition is driving a lot of sales in a short period of time. And that's what I've heard as the, it sounds much, much, uh, it's much harder than, than it sounds. But uh, what were you guys doing to, to uh, you know, position yourself so well to win this competition? We started the way we would start anything else. And that's setting a goal. So the Kickstarter ended and literally the next day, the Shopify build a business competition doors opened up and Catherine and I were like, all right, uh, we just crushed this Kickstarter campaign. What's our next goal? Well, it's got, we have to win the Shopify build a business competition. Um, so we set that as our, which, as our, our next goal, which is a pretty lofty goal. And to be mm-hmm. honest, I was like, okay, the best case scenario is we win. The worst case is we still do everything we can and have a successful business. Mm-hmm. So for that, we, you know, took a couple of months to get the store set up, you know, the product in hand. So we didn't actually launch our store until January 1st, 2016. Yeah, so this year. Um, but we, so it was about three months after our Kickstarter had ended is when we launched our store. Uh, and then that time we were just like planning and, you know, we kept putting out content and growing our list more so that when the product was in hand, we could uh, launch our store pretty much. Mm, okay, so 13 weeks, um, your three months, uh, which is the, the way your planner is set up to win this competition. Do you remember how you broke it down? Like what were some of the key milestones or goals that you uh, you guys had, you said to yourself that you had to hit in order to have a, a good shot at winning the competition? We needed to get our ducks in a row. So, uh, it, one was creating the website, and we knew we didn't want a uh, a templated site. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it, if we wanted to win, we needed to come out with a bang. Mm-hmm. And we were also waiting on our inventory to come in from from our manufacturer, so there was a lead time there. Uh, so we couldn't really sell anything anyway. Um, I mean, we could have pre-sold. Um, but we chose to use that time to actually build the list. So when we did go live, it was more of a bang uh, right out the gate. Uh, we've also, as far as breaking down the goal, what do we need to do? Well, we need to sell products because that's what this business is, this competition is based off of. Um, I actually reached out to a uh, to a good friend of mine um, who is very, 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 very good with scaling e-commerce companies. And I asked him for a little advice. I I told him, hey, here's what I've done to get us here, but I need your expertise to get us to the next level. Uh, He he didn't uh, do anything except have two one-hour conversations with me, and we started scaling and and ramping up from there. And... um, it, it was, what else did we do, Catherine? I think we just didn't, we just didn't look up for six months. <laughs> yeah, um, it sounds like you guys are just in grind mode ever since the Kickstarter campaign kicked off. Um, so this, uh, this, this very successful guy that you consulted with, is he hireable? Can you let us know more about him or is he um, just a, a friend that, that uh, did you a favor? Nope. He's, uh, he's just a good friend of mine and, um, and, and 
he's not for hire. Ah, uh, okay. I'm sure a lot of listeners are like, oh man, this guy sounds uh, like he has a magic <laughs> touch. What's his name? Uh, okay, good to know. So, so Catherine, were you the one that was designing the? Because uh, I know you said that you're a designer. Were you designing this um, the the store? Uh, I actually didn't design the store. We worked with a good friend of mine from my co-working space. So I did the graphics and stuff, and he did the UI UX um, because it was a lot of other stuff that I needed to focus on. And this guy mm-hmm. was really great. So I worked with him to do it. Or uh, We hired a developer um, to do the store and he worked with the developer and me uh, to get it completed. So yeah, that was awesome. And then I worked on you know, the products and the packaging and everything else design-wise. Mm. So it sounds like you guys basically kept the list building mode turned on during this entire process. Was it still using the whole the 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 keys of uh, epic content, the giveaways, and syndication to continue growing this list? I I mean, if for anyone listening, there is no turning it on and turning it off. It's once it's on, keep it on and keep it going. Mm. That, that's it. It it once you get out of the pattern of t- turning it off. Uh, it's so hard to pick up that momentum again, uh, especially once you've created a habit out of it. Mm, I like that. Yeah, once you have built those kind of assets and have this habit, definitely don't lose it. I like that that um, that thinking. So, where you know, you guys have obviously had a very successful Kickstarter campaign. Can you give an idea of give us an idea of how successful the business is today? You know, about I guess a year since the Kickstarter campaign. About a year since the Kickstarter campaign, we're, I think we were right around the two, we just broke the two million mark and we're aiming, um, well, we have some other larger products, uh, back-end products that are in the works right now. Uh, so we have some pretty lofty goals for the next two months of this year, uh, which will... Uh, Hopefully, do very well. <laughs> mm, very cool. Yeah, in two months, that's that's very soon. So, what about um your year long plans? What do you guys want to see the business uh, or best self, the brand itself, be in a year from now? Uh, Felix, we may. If I tell you, we may have to kill you. <laughs> I'll take that <laughs> sacrifice. I'm just kidding. Um, so we're our you know our goal is to with best self is to create or find products that help people to become their best self, whether it's um, like we actually have the journal, but we want to make working easier. So as in like something physical in your office that could be make you work better, something that makes your day go better. We we're creating a couple of tools to keep you focused. So we're doing a lot of stuff, but it's all around the same idea of becoming your best self. So that's kind of what our focus is and what, with that sort of mission and is kind of guiding, you know, where we go next. Very cool. So, um, we're, by the time this episode comes out, we'll be, uh, very deep into the holiday shopping season. How are you guys planning for or preparing for, or how have you prepared for the holiday shopping season? We've um, got our shipment, our shipment of uh, product will be in shortly. So we are trying to get, make sure we're stocked up because especially this type of product, um, at this type of e- time of year, the last thing we want to do is uh, to run out. One thing that you can do, which is actually what we did back in September, is we said, okay, this is going to be a crazy Q4. What can we do to make it less crazy? And we just broke it down into 
all right, we're going to have a promotion on this day. We're going to have a promotion on this day. We're going to, we need to launch this product in or around this day here. Uh, we need to make sure that all the inventory is in. So when does, when's the last deadline that we could put it in place or when's the last minute that we could place that order um, without it being late and, you know, still be arrive on time. So it's just putting together a, a strategy and understanding what direction you're going. And when you have everything lined up, it makes all the pins fall so much easier. Yeah, I like that what you said about how you thought about how can we make this time less crazy. And I, I think that's a good way to think about a lot of uh, planning, which is how can I make my job in the future easier by what can I do today to do that? And I think that's a, a great kind of mantra to live with when you're trying to plan out and trying to figure out how you should prioritize your your day and your time. So, you know, thanks so much, Catherine Allen. So bestself.co, bestself.co is the website. Um, anywhere else you recommend a listeners check out if they want to follow along with what you guys are up to? Uh, so I write on my personal blog called littlemite.com, uh, mainly about either e-commerce or Kickstarter and how, how to launch Kickstarter, that sort of thing. So if people are interested in that, they can read up on how we did the self journal there. And my personal blog, I write uh, about best self, the behind the scenes, I pull the curtain behind the scenes and, and get a glimpse of uh, what's working, what's not working. And, uh, you know, all the marketing stuff of that over at alanbrower.com. Very cool. We'll link up both of those in the show notes if you uh, listeners want to go and check that out. Um, yeah, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Felix. This no is worries, awesome. Felix. Thanks, Felix. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.